Good morning, everyone. Hope you're warm this morning. The door is wide open. If you'll please stand with us, sing along.
Amen. Amen. Psalm 47, God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our King, sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth, sing praises with the psalm. God reigns over the nations, God sits on His holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, for He is highly exalted. Amen? Amen and amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Northside. We like to do this little thing. I know a lot of churches don't do this anymore. Some people are uncomfortable. But hey, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We want you to feel welcome. So we do this little thing where we just welcome people for a couple minutes. So while you're standing, take a moment, shake some hands, hug a neck, and welcome people here. If you'll return to your seats, if you'll return to your seats, and if I can have all my little friends like Caleb right here, all my kids, come join me up here for our children's story while they're coming, and I sit down here and you can no longer see my face. I know we got a lot of first-time visitors or maybe second-time visitors with us this morning, so we are glad that you're here. We, uh, no, you can't sit in my lap, son. I won't be able to read or hold the book. But thank you for offering. This is your first time here. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. Some of you have been here for a second or third time. If this is your first time, there's a couple ways you can let us know that. There's a QR code in the bulletin that you can scan or a connection card out in the foyer that you could fill out. Uh, we would greatly appreciate that. And if there's any way that we can be praying for any of you, just let us know. Where in the world did all you kids come from? Don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. Sometimes you ask a question and when it's halfway out, you're like, no, stop. All right, here we go. So if anybody doesn't know, you're new. We work through this book. It's called The Biggest Story Bible Storybook. We do this about once a month. Sometimes we skip a month on accident, but we do it. So we're on chapter 12. 
We go through it very slowly. Chapter 12, the pictures are on the screen for anybody who cannot see the book. Joseph's mean brothers and what God meant to do. This is Genesis 37 and Genesis chapter 50. All right, here we go. We've heard a lot about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But did you know that the longest story in Genesis and one of the longest stories in the Bible is actually about Jacob's son, Joseph? There we go. When Joseph was a teenager, Jacob made him a special robe. It wasn't a choir robe. There weren't many choirs yet. It wasn't a bathrobe. They didn't take many baths either. It was a robe of many colors. Jacob gave it to Joseph because Joseph was his most favorite son, which quickly made Joseph the least favorite brother. And to make matters worse, Joseph had a dream that one day his mom and dad and brothers would all bow down to him. Some dream, the brothers thought, more like a nightmare. So they ripped apart the fancy robe, threw Joseph in a pit, and sold him into slavery. Later, when Jacob asked his sons where Joseph was, the big brothers showed their father their robe and told a lie about Joseph being devoured by a wild animal. Everything in Joseph's life was about to get worse, but then better, and then worse, and then better, and then worse, over and over until everything finally got better at the end. Everybody see Joseph there in the coat? It's also on the screen behind us. All right, here we go. Next page. First, Joseph served as a slave for an important Egyptian official named Potiphar. That's worse. But Joseph was so good at what he did, and the Lord was blessing him so much that Potiphar put Joseph in charge of his entire house. That's better. But then Potiphar's wife tried to kiss Joseph. And, yeah. and because he knew better than to kiss another man's wife, she lied about the whole thing and got Joseph thrown in prison. That's worse. But God was with Joseph and gave him the ability to interpret dreams for two other prisoners. One of the men promised to remember Joseph when he was back serving Pharaoh. Better. But the man forgot Joseph. Worse. But later he remembered. Better. By the time he was 30 years old, Joseph was working for Pharaoh himself and on his way to being the second most powerful person in Egypt. Much better. Years later, Joseph's brothers came to Egypt desperately looking for food. And Joseph was the only person who had any food to give. Sure enough, Joseph's family was bowing down before him. Except they didn't know it was him. Not right away. And once they found out it was Joseph, their long-lost brother, the I-thought-you-were-dead son, they were afraid. Surely he would not be nice to them after they had been so mean to him. But that's not how Joseph saw things. You meant evil against me, he said, but God meant it for good. That's how God works. Not just for Joseph, for all his people. No matter how many pits or prisons we end up in, God is always up to something better, much better. So let's pray. Father, on this Sunday that so many churches recognize as Sanctity of Life Sunday, Lord, we just want to take a moment to pause and to thank you for life, all of life. How sacred life is for every person that is ever conceived is made in the image of God. Every life in the womb matters because they are made in the image of God. Every child on this stage, on these steps, matters to their family, 
to this church family, but infinitely more to you, God. For they are fearfully and wonderfully made. And your word says, for you know the plans you have for us. Lord, you have a plan for each one of them, for each of their lives. And Lord, we know that sometimes that plan may lead to the pit or may lead to the valley. This week reading, Jesus, your disciples found themselves in the midst of a storm and you brought peace, but the reality is you were the one that led them into that boat across the sea. You led them into the storm, but even in the storms, you are present. God, in the best moments of our life, you are there. In the hardest, darkest moments of our life, you are there. And we rejoice, God, this morning that even what the enemy means for evil, God, you can work all things together for good. And so we praise you for that. Father, we just ask that you would lead us all the way, Savior. Will you lead us as we follow you? Just as Joseph did, may we do that as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, y'all may return to your seats. If everybody will stand, let's worship together.
for the Lord in prayer. So Lord, we just we thank you for your faithfulness. Your faithfulness that you've provided us a, a Savior to die on the cross for us to cleanse us for our sins. We're thankful for the hope and love you provide for us. We ask for you to honor these tithes and offerings we're about to give as we show our faithfulness back to you. That you want to protect us and do the same. Amen. Praise and give you praise for great is our faith. 
I still remember the day you saved me, the day you called, called out my name. You said you loved me, and you never leave me, and I've never time our kiddos are going to make their way to children's church we got our first and second grade and then we got pre-k three four and kindergarten you can just meet out there you'll see them all lined up against the wall you can join them and then parents you after the service right when you go out here to the right uh, you will be able to pick them up so if you have a child second grade down through pre-k three children's church Everybody else, if you'll take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17, as we have been working our way for many months now through um, this letter. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I pray you have your copy of God's Word. Would you please take that and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. This is the word of the Lord, his good and holy word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. You may be seated. So we've been working our way through this letter, and there's a couple things that Peter makes abundantly clear. One of those is that for those of us in Christ, those of us who have been born again, we are exiles. We're sojourners. We've been using this word the last several weeks. We've been in this letter, pilgrims. In other words, this is not our home. We belong to the kingdom of God. Paul says we're citizens of God's kingdom. We're just temporarily here. 
We belong to the kingdom of God. One day we will see Jesus as either when we, we die in Christ or when Christ comes for us. Peter also makes it clear that we're, hot, that, that, that we're exiles living in a hostile world that we're surrounded by ungodliness and lawlessness, and there's this hostility towards those who have been born again, those who are Christians. And so we live as exiles in a hostile world. As we begin to get into this section, this new section, where Peter has said we're to abstain from evil and we are to conduct ourselves in an honorable way among the Gentiles, there's something else that we're going to see, particularly this morning. And that is that we are pilgrims, belong to God's kingdom, but yet we're still citizens of an earthly kingdom. For us, citizens of the United States of America. So the question for us this morning as we specifically get into these verses is this. How do we live as both pilgrims under the rule and reign of Almighty God, living in an earthly structure where there are human authorities? Government, emperors and governors in Peter's day, presidents and senators and house of representatives and local governors and mayors. How do we live as exiles yet as pilgrims? Specifically, how do we respond to authority? How do we respond to human and governmental institutions? That'll be the focus this morning. Some would say, hey, listen, I'm a Christian. This isn't my home. Therefore, I have zero civic responsibility. Some people live that way. Is that biblical? Like You don't have to follow the laws. You don't have to listen to the government. You just do whatever you want because you belong to Jesus, and that's where you ultimately belong. Is that biblical? You ought to know the answer is no. But how do we conduct ourselves? So here's what we're going to do. Three points that are going to build on each other. Then Peter gives some practical application. Now listen, you may leave with more questions than answers. This is not to be an in-depth, this is exactly how Christians are to respond in every situation, and this is how the government should always act, and this is okay, and this is not okay. I'm going to let you flesh out some of that on your own. Ultimately, guided by the Word of God. Somebody say amen. Because hear me, when you read this, you know what you're not going to find? My opinion. Your opinion, Peter's opinion, Paul's opinion, Moses' opinion. This is the Word of God. And so we want this to guide us. But I do want to give us some basic principles as we do that. So let's start. First thing that we need to understand, let's start basic. When, it, when we talk about authority, number one is this. God has ultimate authority. God has ultimate authority. He has supreme authority. Now, a parallel passage to 1 Peter, and I promise we will get to 1 Peter, is Romans 13. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing in Romans 13. If you want to turn there, because the first couple points will be here. Romans 13, beginning in verse 1. Let every person be subject, that's what Peter says, we're to be subject, to the governing authorities. Here it is. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Paul is clear. God has ultimate authority and no other authority exists if it wasn't for God so when we think about God there is much that we could say for our time's sake let me say two things God is good and God is holy God is good he is a benevolent kind gracious God and he is a holy just righteous 
God. Which means, are you ready for this? His commands, every word in Scripture that is breathed out by God is good, it is holy. It is good. God has the final say, the final authority. You can push back. Well, what about this? Or I think this. Hear me. At the end of the day, if you believe God is good, then every word in here is good. It's good for you. And it is holy. It is right, which means it is to be rightly followed. Every word can be trusted. Here's the problem. The problem is not with God. The problem is with us because we're sinners. God gives authority to Adam and Eve. They are to have dominion. They are to rule and reign, but they rebel against God. And as a result, sin enters into the world and into our own hearts. And what we do as sinners, I love how Paul David Tripp summarizes this. He says, sin is fiercely rebellious. Because of your sin nature, you are going to want to rebel against everything and everyone. As a parent, you say, why do my kids always want to buck my authority? Because of their sin nature. They don't want to submit to authority. But then he also goes on to say, sin is fiercely independent. So here's what happens. God, ultimate authority, because of our sin nature, we want to fight against God's authority. We want to fight against all authority. We want to fight against the structures of authority that he has put in place so here's what god does god in his scripture willingly willingly calls you to submit to him not coercively he will never force you now one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess but here on earth he's not going to force you to submit to him to follow him but he calls you to willingly do it that's the heart of the gospel our response to the gospel. The gospel is that we're sinners. God is righteous. God, to save his people who have rebelled against him, sends his son Jesus, lives a perfect life, is crucified upon the cross, bears the wrath of God meant for us, dies in my place so that my sins can be forgiven, so that I can be made right with God, reconciled to God, not because of my good deeds, but all by the grace of God. Amen? And then what does Jesus say? Your response to what I've done for you is to repent and believe. It's to repent. It is to acknowledge that you are a sinner. To acknowledge that you need to turn from your sin and hear me to believe upon the name of Jesus. To believe that he is who he said he is. That he did what he said he did. What does it mean to believe? Basically means you're going to submit to him. When the disciples are called to follow him, it wasn't, hey, Jesus, we'll follow, but let us lead the way. It was, no, come get in line. I'm going to make fully trained disciples. You're going to look like me. I'm not going to look like you. I've got authority here. All authority belongs to me. So we willingly submit to Christ as Lord. He has ultimate authority. Amen? But secondly, the structures of authority on earth are established by God. Romans 13, again, we go back there, and I told you to stay there, and I didn't stay there myself, so i got to find it again. Romans 13, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists the authorities, I'm going to stick it to the man, I'm going to rebel against God's, I'm going to rebel against government, rebel against my parents, rebel against my husband, rebel against the leadership of the church, I'm going to rebel. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. 
and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. And we'll get to verse 3 in a minute. Jonathan Lehman has written a very helpful book on authority. I've been pouring into it over the last couple weeks. And he gives a summary of authority as we see it in the plan of redemption. He starts with this. Authority, as intended in creation, is good. God has authority. I already mentioned he shares his authority with Adam and Eve. Name the animals. Like They are to have dominion. They are to rule over God's creation. He willingly shares that authority. It's good. Then we come to chapter 2 and 3. We're going to realize that authority as experienced after the fall is bad. Authority as experienced after the fall is bad. Everyone in this room, tragically, unfortunately, know what it's like to either have a husband who abuses his authority, or a father who abuses his authority, or government that abuses their authority, or unfortunately, pastors who abuse their authority and prey on vulnerable young men and women. We know what bad authority is like. And what some people want to say is then let's get rid of all authority. Let's get rid of all police officers because there are some corrupt police officers. Let's get rid of all pastors because some pastors are corrupt. Look, if we play that game, there will be no authority structures on earth. Because in every area of authority, there are some people who are corrupt. And what would this world look like if there were no authority structures? Let me tell you, none of us would be here. We'd have all killed each other by now. It would be absolute anarchy. So the answer to bad authority is not no authority. The answer to bad authority is we need good authority. So listen, the third thing Lehman says is this, authority as restored in redemption is good. God is not only redeeming people he's redeeming all of his creation and he's doing that even now and he does that through good authority so for those of us who have been born again peter says we've been born again to a living hope hear me you don't throw off all authority why because if god has ultimate authority and god has established structures of authority on earth then hear me human authority is a visible representation of God's invisible authority. Now, we may not be able to see God's authority, but you are a human representation. Listen, that's why your job as parents is so significant. Because you are to represent God's authority here on earth. Not over all children, but over your children. Husbands, you have an authority in the home. Pastors have an authority in the church. There are government authorities, and all of them are to function in a way that represents God here on earth. So listen, human authority is given by God. I believe that includes the systems and the people that fill those systems. So we, really not by choice, but by God's grace, I was born a citizen of this country. Born into a system in which we have a democracy and a president, and you have a voice. Even though you may feel like, hey, my voice doesn't matter, you still have a voice. You can go vote. You can change the direction of a country. You have a voice. This system, I believe, is given to us by God. I also believe the people who are in these positions, though voted by America, voted by the people, that God is still in control. Aren't you thankful for that? That's what we see with Joseph. When Joseph might think, God, you're out of control, the world's out of control, God's like, no, 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 I'm in control, 
I'm going to work all things together for good. So God is sovereign. Just one verse, there's many. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Hear me, behind every human authority stands the Lord himself. Parents, husbands, pastors, government, police officers, judges, politicians. Behind every authority that is God-given, human institution, stands the Lord himself. So here's the question, how do we respond to those authorities? Some people want to fight against every authority. They are willing to wreak havoc. They are willing to do awful things to fight against every authority. Some people want to resist, or they don't want to resist, they want to flee. Like, they want to just run from it. Like, we're just going to get in our holy little huddle, sing kumbaya, we're not going to even live in the world, we just try to get away from it. Some conform. They go away from the Word of God, they begin to conform to the laws of the land, the government, they begin to do as they tell them to do. Listen, God does not call you to fight I'm not saying there's no place for war. I'm talking about how do we respond to government officials. He's not calling us to fight. He's not calling us to storm the White House. He doesn't call us to do that. He doesn't call us to flee. He doesn't call us to conform. Here's what he calls us to do. To submit. He calls us to subject ourselves to these authorities that he has placed in our life. We have so much still to cover, but I want to take a moment, and I want to go to Jeremiah 29. Y'all just hang on, because we could have preached on this for weeks, and I'm just going to do it in one Sunday. I want you to go to Jeremiah 29. I love these verses. Now listen, Jeremiah 29, 11. You guys know that was my life verse for years. My email is Hornsby 2911. 2911 from Jeremiah 2911. We know that verse. For I know the plans I have for you to declare the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We skip over these important verses that are right before verse 11. God's people have been taken into captivity. They are in Babylon. They are exiles, sojourners, pilgrims. No longer in Jerusalem. They're in Babylon. How are they to live? Jeremiah 29, 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. God, what do we do? We don't want to be here. What do we do? Build houses. Plant some gardens. Get married. Have babies. And then listen to what he says. But seek the welfare of the city. As a citizen, you are to seek the welfare of the city. Not what an elected leader tells you is best but what God's word says is best. We seek the welfare of the city, but then listen to it says, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, amen. Seek the welfare, but then get on your knees and pray on behalf of the nation. So listen, God has ultimate authority. He's established the structures of authority on earth. Number three, and let's finally dive in to 1 Peter. We are to submit to those authorities God has placed in our life. He says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, be subject. That word submit or, or subject is a military term. It means to get in line or to come under another in rank. To put yourself in an attitude of submission. He's going to go on. He's going to mention over the next several weeks, we'll see several areas that we are called to submit. We come this morning to this idea of submitting to, as Peter will say, emperors as supreme or to governors notice a couple things we submit voluntarily we're not coerced we're not forced 
We as Christians voluntarily submit to the human institutions. Why? For the Lord's sake. Everything we do is ultimately about the glory of God. Amen? And he goes on to say in verse 15, for this is the will of God. So for the Lord's sake we do this. And so what does Peter say? Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, so emperor in Peter's day, this would have been Emperor Nero, or to governors, the emperor would send out these governors, they would rule over certain areas, districts, regions. This would be somebody like Pontius Pilate that we read about in the Gospels. They're ruling, they're reigning. And what do we do? We submit. The word submit means to obey. Peter is saying you are to obey. We are to obey the authorities. We are to obey the laws. We are to be, hear me, peaceful citizens, not rebel rousers, not lawbreakers. You say, oh, pastor, that's easy for Peter to write. He doesn't know the kind of government we're living in. He doesn't know the corrupt leaders that we have in this country. Do you know the environment that Peter lived in? He is writing, subject yourself to the emperor, and the emperor would be Nero who will have him killed. Nero, the citizens said this, the historians say this, a fire starts in Rome that Nero starts, and then he blames who? The Christians. Begins to set them on fire. Begins to persecute them. Come on, let's get in our holy huddle and let's go to war. Peter says, no, 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 no. We subject ourselves. We submit ourselves. So as a Christian, for you to say, I'm not going to pay my taxes. I'm not going to follow the speed limit because I'm free in Christ and I belong to his kingdom and not this kingdom. Absolutely not. No, you pay your taxes. And you can vote, use your voice so that maybe the tax system changes, but you pay your taxes. You follow the speed limit. I love the story I read this week. A pastor was driving and he got pulled over for speeding. He told the officer, officer, I'm on the Lord's business. I'm doing the Lord's work here, like thinking the officer would let him go. The officer replied, Pastor, I read the same Bible you do. It says to go out into the highways and bring them in. And so that's what I'm doing. I love it. Follow the laws. Obey the laws that promote good and try to restrict and diminish evil. So we submit voluntarily for the Lord's sake, Peter says, but also to avoid punishment. Look what Peter says. Or to governors that sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Right, we go back to Romans 13 in this parallel passage. Paul spells it out for us there. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Listen, the governing authorities, God is clear, are to promote justice and righteousness. They are to promote law and order. They are to promote peace. They are to punish those who do evil. They are to praise those who do good. In our context, those who wield the sword in the way that we have governed and set things up is our police officers. They wield the sword. And you go above that to judges who maybe put out verdicts and sentences. Hear me. 
We live in a culture that is becoming more and more and more hostile to our police officers. More and more just outright violent against them. We have men, women in this place, in our family, who either are serving as officers or you have served as an officer. Listen, you are never follower of Christ to participate in any sort of violent protest, any sort of way that will bring harm to those that God has appointed to wield the sword. It doesn't matter that there may be un or, or corrupt officers. Then let's figure out how to deal with them. But everybody else, show them respect. And hear me, if you know of officers in this church, thank them over and over and over. I talked to somebody yesterday talking about when everything kind of changed. Officer, when everything kind of changed towards them. He said it was in 2020. Multiple things happened. How hard it is, how hard, this is terrifying, just to be honest, how hard it is to find officers and to get them to stay more than a year. Pray for them. Pray God will raise up men and women who understand that God is calling them in our current structure to wield that sword. Thomas Schreiner writes, the main point is that all believers should do what is right and strengthen the social fabric and rulers help maintain order in society by commending good citizens. But you say, no, I'm free. This is the land of the free. I'm free in Christ. I shouldn't have to submit to anybody. Well, thankfully, Peter recognizes your objection. And he goes on to say in verse 16, live as people who are free. See, I'm to live as free. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You are free in Christ, yes and amen, but do not use that liberty to lead to a license to sin or live for self. Listen, true freedom liberates believers to do what is good and not whatever they want. Notice what Peter says. Notice what he says. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You are free from the dominion and the rule and the reign of sin, but you are now under the dominion and the rule of an almighty God. You are servants of Christ. Never use your freedom for self but use your freedom to serve, to willingly submit. Now, everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people, man, we still got a lot to cover. A lot of people want to say, what about exceptions? Everybody wants to run to the exceptions. When, when does a wife not have to submit to her husband? When do kids not have to submit to their parents? I'm, we're not going to get into all of that. But when, it th when we think of government, people want to say, well, what's the exception? When can I defy the government? I think we need to be slow to run to the exceptions. But there is an exception. What if they command us to go against the Lord? Because here's the reality. Sometimes federal or local government defies God's standards and demands obedience from its citizens in a way that would violate God's word and our conscience. So what do we do if the government, if the emperor or a president were to demand us to defy God and his word? Wayne Grudem writes, obey except when commanded to sin. One author writes, and this will be on the screen, I think this is helpful, we are to submit to the ordinances unless they prohibit us from doing what God commands or commands us to do what God forbids. Scripture is filled with examples. Just quickly, the Hebrew midwives in Exodus told to murder, murder the babies. They're like, no, we fear God, we can't do that. You got Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego multiple times in Daniel where they defy, where they defy the government. 
One, we can't defy ourselves with this food, so we're not going to do it. We're not going to bow before this golden idol. You are to only pray to the, the, to the emperor, to, to the King Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel's like, no, I can't do that. They defy it. You think of the apostles in Acts chapter 4. Stop preaching the gospel. I think it was Ron to paraphrase yesterday. Look, you do what you do, we're going to do what we got to do. And we got to preach the gospel. That's what God's called us to do. Right? So, so they defied. So hear me. There are some laws, brothers and sisters, we cannot stand behind. There are some laws we cannot follow. We cannot, because of God's clear, good, and holy word, we cannot affirm same-sex marriage laws. Can't do it. Can't do it. I'm not going to marry a same-sex marriage couple. I'm not going to do it. Legalization of abortion, abortion laws. Can't do it. Not going to support those. Not going to stand for those. Transgender laws. Can't back you on that. This idea that a 15-year-old boy or girl knows what the rest of their life should look like, be able to make a decision that will forever alter their physical body, and their mom and dad ought to have no say-so over that. Listen, there is nobody in here under 18, that's maybe conservative, that has any clue what the rest of your life is going to look like. You do not need to make those decisions apart from an authority figure in your life to help you navigate that and to say, hey, what's God say? Not what do you feel? What's the culture say? There's certain laws that we can't follow. Listen, Jim Crow laws. Absolutely no way any believer in Christ should have ever stood behind those kind of laws that elevated one color of skin over another. That is not God's human sanctity, dignity of life. That goes against those things. We don't stand those things so if the government forces us to disobey what do we do let's just hypothetically let's say this week we are told that we as a church are never allowed to gather again wouldn't happen in a week i think it could happen down the road possibly but let's just say that if we ever gather together again i'm going to jail you may go to jail you may lose your job so what do we do well we got to decide are we going to gather or not some countries you go underground. That's a possibility. We could go underground. We could try to, to worship in private knowing that eventually they may find us. So what do we do if the government passes that kind of law, if police officers are required to carry out that law? Well, there's a couple things we can do. And I, and I worked through a couple sermons by John MacArthur that he preached, I think maybe in the 70s or 80s, and this really helped me. And this is what he said. In those moments, if government forces us to do something that defies God's word, number one, we appeal it. We appeal it. We write letters. We go to um, our senators. We go to elected officials, and we appeal it. Based upon religious liberty, the word of God, we're called to do this. We have to do this. We appeal it. He then says we confront. God has given us legal means. We, we hire a lawyer, right? We, we try to go through the legal system to defend our rights. We appeal. We confront. But let's say it's declined. It's denied. We know that if we walk into this place next Sunday, that they're coming to arrest us. What do we do? And I love what John MacArthur said. Here's what you do. You gather, you worship, you preach, you sing, and when the authorities come in, you stick out your hand and you say, take me to jail. He said you don't bring your guns and fight against them. No, we are called to subject ourselves to the authorities. And if we know that by defying their authority... And obeying God, it means we're going to jail. We voluntarily say, then take me to jail. And I will trust my God to deal with me. And eventually, his vengeance will be dealt with you. We submit, even, even when it goes against 
God's word, we are called to submit to the governing authorities. Now, thankfully, in this country, you do have a voice because there are many people in other countries who have no voice. Use your voice. Vote. Vote in November. An important election. Vote. If you don't vote, don't complain. If you're not going to be willing to use your voice, then don't complain after the fact. Vote. But that leads us to some practical application. Come on, keep hanging with me. Don't, don't check out now because this is so important. He gets to verse 17 and he just, four imperatives. He just throws them out there really quick. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. I love this. All four main areas of a Christian's life are included here. This will be on the screen. Social. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Your social life, family life. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. That's your ecclesial life. That's your church life. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. That's your spiritual life. Honor the emperor. That's the political life. Now listen, I challenged our men yesterday at our men's breakfast. Please hang with me for a couple more minutes. Because I want you this week to be open and honest before the Lord to say, how are you doing in these four areas of your life? Let's quickly go through them. Honor everyone. Well, did Peter really mean everyone? Yes, everyone. My enemy? Yeah, your enemies. Honor everyone. Show respect. Why? Because every single person is made in the image of God. Every single person on planet earth who has ever lived, will live, they are made in the image of God. Therefore, they are valuable and they have worth. And you treat them with honor. Hear me. Even if you disagree with them, even if their lifestyle is as far away from yours, even if their positions, but I'm a Republican and they're a Democrat, still honor them. Honor them. Listen, I know the world says it's not possible, but it is. You can love someone and love them well and still not agree with everything that they do. And that's not what the world says. The world says, oh, to really love me means you have to affirm and approve everything that I do. That's garbage. No, it doesn't. I can sit down with you, as conservative as I am, and as far left you may be, and we can have a nice civil conversation over a cup of coffee. I don't have to yell at you. I don't have to belittle you. I don't have to call you names. Why? Because what's my goal? Hear me. It's not to convert you to be a Republican. My goal is is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you in hopes that Jesus will call you out of your sin into his salvation. And hear me, nobody is going to listen to you if you are yelling at them, screaming at them, arguing with them, calling them names, and belittling them. You have lost your opportunity to witness if you treat them that way. Honor everyone. How you doing on that? Love the brotherhood. He, he raises it a level. Who's the brotherhood? That's you and I. That's saints. That's believers in Christ. What does that mean? That means as a follower of Christ, you need to have a brotherhood, a.k.a. a church, that you're part of. You can't love the brothers and the sisters if you're never here, because you're not going to know us. He says, honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Stick with me. He says, fear God. Honor the emperor. Believers are to honor the king, honor the governor, honor the president, but we are never to fear him or worship him. Never. We fear God. We honor the emperor. We give earthly authorities our submission and our respect, but never our worship. And I've got to say this because it's 2024, and this is so important. 
Two things. Number one, brothers and sisters in Christ, don't ever worship political leaders. Don't ever worship pastors. Don't ever worship anybody. Now, I don't see that currently. I don't think too many people are worshiping President Biden. But I've seen it historically. I saw many people elevate and worship President Obama. And I've seen many, including Christians, elevate and worship Donald Trump. Hear me, Trump is not your savior. Don't worship him. Don't worship Biden or whoever may be the next elected official. Your worship is reserved for King Jesus, amen? Worship him. Pray for the president. Vote, but don't worship him. But the second thing is, some of you are like, well, I don't have a problem with that. I don't worship Trump. But look what he says. Honor the emperor. You may strongly, vehemently disagree with whoever is in political office. But hear me, Peter is clear. You are still to honor them. And I believe that means you honor the office that God has instituted and whom God is sovereignly over and who is leading that. Does that mean you can't ever disagree? Does that mean you don't have grave concerns? No, but to honor them means you pray for them. And to honor them means you be very careful how you speak of them. And let me close this way. I'm going to circle back to that in just a minute. How you live your life matters. And it matters in every area. And I intentionally skip verse 15. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. He's already said in verse 12 that keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they'll see your good deeds. And now he says, by living a good and right life, you silence foolish people. Listen, if I ever have to come bail you out of jail, I hope it's because you were in jail for doing right. For standing upon the gospel, for preaching, for helping people. I hope I don't ever have to come bail you out because you decided to be a rebel rouser and break the law. If that's the case, you deserve to be in there. Because they're wielding the sword to promote good and to discourage evil. So hear me, how do we silence, and hear me, in 2024, I believe the world is going to watch us as Christians. Now here's what I know. There's a part of it, it doesn't matter how you live. They're still going to come after you. They're still going to belittle you. They're still going to call you names and Christians and how we vote and what we believe. You can't change that. But hear me. Don't let any person speak evil of you because you're foolish and can't control your mouth. How you live your life matters. Hear me, and I'm going to give you one quote from John MacArthur. And maybe I've angered you this morning. I don't know. But if not, maybe this might. How you live your life matters in the real world and in the fake world. What's the fake world? Social media, it's not real, it's fake. But hear me, you will give an account for every word that comes out of your mouth. And I believe we'll give an account for every word that we type and put on social media. Listen, it ought to be clear in your life, Christian, that you fear God, that you also honor whoever God has put over you. Does that mean you can't disagree? No. Here's what that means. I better never see a brother and sister in Christ bad-mouthing somebody in authority. Because if you do that, 
you're going against God's word, which calls you to honor. And here's why it matters. Here's why it matters. Listen to John MacArthur that we're praying. There is really no greater way for people to see the transforming power of the gospel than to see the life of a transformed person. Why does it matter how you and I live our life? Because lost people are watching. Is it real? Has Jesus transformed you? Has he changed you? And MacArthur says the greatest apologetic for the gospel of Jesus Christ is a transformed life. Not a perfect life. I love Jesus says fully trained disciples. He doesn't say fully developed. You're never going to be fully developed. You're never going to achieve perfection here. But we are to consistently walk with the Lord our God. So does it matter if you pay your taxes? Does it matter if you follow the speed limits? Does it matter if you submit to your parents? Does it matter if you come under the authority of your husband? Does it matter if you come under the authority of your pastor and government leaders? It matters. Does it matter if you abuse that authority? Yes, it matters. Why? Because everything ultimately points back to God. And we want to accurately picture and represent him. Listen, whatever happens this year, it's going to be a wild ride. But just know, Lord our God reigns. Amen. And he has raised up an army of men and women who don't fight with the earthly weapons. But we fight with the spiritual weapons. So let us be people who are on our knees praying on behalf of our country. Let us be men and women who are willing to do good and seek the welfare of our city. And let us be men and women who continue to stand upon God's good and holy word because he is good and holy. And I believe in the midst of the chaos, God is stirring and moving. He's drawing people to himself and he's ready for his church to be the church that points people to the only hope that we have in Jesus Christ. All right, let's pray. Father God, we come to you Lord, I'm thankful for your word. Lord, to be honest, this is, this is a hard word for, for many people, this idea of authority. It's been just challenging to think through it this week and to figure out what needs to be said. And Lord, to be honest, maybe I said too much this morning. Lord, that, that's for you to, to decide. But, but Lord, I just pray that you use this to speak to our hearts. God, maybe some in here are rebelling. Maybe there's teenagers right now that are rebelling against the good authority of their parents. Maybe a spouse a husband, a wife who either is not leading as Christ has called them to lead. They're abusing that authority or maybe a spouse who's not coming under the authority of their husband and saying, hey, I love you and I want to support you and I want to follow you. And that husband who says, hey, I want to love you as Christ loved the church. Maybe we're struggling with the government, authorities in the government, maybe struggling to come under the authority of a pastor or a church because we've been burned in the past, we've been hurt in the past, and there's, there's deep grief and wounds there. Father, wherever we are, Lord, we just pray that we'll come to trust in your good and holy word. And God, we ask that you do healing in our hearts, and we ask that you would lead us to be people who seek the welfare of this city, that we seek God's will and word for this city, and that we would just follow you. Lord, as we sing this last song, as we're just reminded, God, of your love for us. God, it's all because you first loved us. And we thank you for that. And so, Lord, we offer up the song of praise to you before we conclude this service. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Maybe you want to come and pray. Pray for our country. Pray for your own heart. As always, the altar is open. Feel free to come kneel and pray as we worship together.
standing announcements in about 30 seconds because you have a bulletin filled with them senior friends luncheon parents night out valentine's tea youth fundraiser sisterhood groups upcoming bible study all of that is for you or some of you and so if you want to be part of that please read the bulletin take advantage of that sign up at the nbc connect board um, and just grow in your relationships and in your love for the lord one other announcement, right after worship, and when I mean right after, I literally mean right after, in the activity room is an interest meeting for those who have a desire to go to Ecuador this summer to work with the Yanceys. So Pastor Gary's going to come, he's going to read, uh, quote, do the benediction together as we quote from the Great Commission, and then he's going to go directly there for that meeting, and so please get over there as quickly as possible if you're interested in going to Ecuador. So PG, if you'll Come, come back tonight. we got all our normal activities. If you want to know what those are, it's in the bulletin, or you can come uh, ask one of us. All right, friends, let's say this as fluidly together as we can. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, 
I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's say it.